This is the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. I'm here with Abby and Voss and Gilly, and Lindy Jacob has joined us once again. And we thought we'd have a chat around about this expression opposers and opponents of the truth, which is something um, we are often all classed as. And we thought we'd just have a discussion and delve into what exactly an opposer means, why we do what we do, and is it so wrong to actually be opposed of something that we believe not to be right? So I thought I'd start just by having some dictionary definitions of what is an opposer. Um, just for discussion. And the first one I came up with is someone who offers opposition. Well, that's probably a fairly obvious definition. Um, there was another one to act against or provide resistance to things you're not happy with. The one that I thought was most interesting was a dictionary definition that was to vigorously oppose tyranny in every form. I thought that was an interesting one. And then we also had... An opposer is someone who disagrees with something or someone often by speaking or fighting against it. And this is exactly where the brethren have issues with us. So I thought I'd just throw that out there for people's thoughts on what is an opposer? Why are we classed as such? One reason why we're classed as opposers is because we've left the truth and the life, the light. Um, So therefore... We're the lowest of the low, really. That's um, partly my interpretation of it. Talking about others. The other thing I thought would be quite interesting to start this off was to think about how, when we were in the Brethren, did we view those who left? Now, when I was in the Brethren, the internet wasn't around, so the opportunity to speak out against them perhaps wasn't as liberal as it is now. Um, and I had very little knowledge of any press articles or anything that came out because the ability to distribute them wasn't quite the same. But how did the four of you who all left far more recently than me view somebody that left out and was that left the brethren and was perhaps known to be in opposition to the the position or the brethren? (laughs) We're staying quiet on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you were all Yeah. Yeah, we thought they were we thought they were really, really evil. But yeah. I mean, you might have already said this, but um there's a difference between people who just leave and who quietly fall off the back of the bandwagon and who um who never speak up. Mm. The brethren don't mind those people as much because obviously they they don't pose any sort of threat to the mm. brethren. Whereas it's those who actually decide to speak up. Um, and I liked how your dictionary definition was focused on things like, um, yeah, that, that one that said about speaking up against tyranny. Tyranny, um, yeah. Because I think most most of us ex-brethren who do choose to speak up, it comes only after a lot of wrestling and a lot of realising that actually there's some significant injustices going on here. And if mm. we don't speak up, who will? Mm. And so... So yeah, there are two sort of tiers to people who leave the brethren. There's just those who 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 leave and um and who who get on with looking after their own lives and trying to recover themselves. And then there are those of us who 
come to a point, and it's usually for, you know, one or two very definite reasons why we do it, um, and we can maybe get more into that later. That that could be an interesting thing to explore around what motivates us. But, um, but it's, yeah, the, it's only really those ones who become who become the opposers. Um, so, yeah. When, um, a, when you're in the Brethren, do you think that um, though that you're in the brethren, those who are known opposers, are they viewed differently to those hearts? For in other words, what I'm trying to get at here is, is if you were in the brethren and you had a member of your family who had left, but they went quietly and they never spoke out against what they believed to be wrong amongst the brethren, they kept it all to themselves and they gave no trouble. Do you think their contact with their family would be not as impoverished as those of us that do speak out? Absolutely, because I can see it with people that I know that have left. Mm. Um, Even recently, like the difference between them and us is just poles apart. Like no one will even speak to us, which I'm fine with um but it was I wasn't fine with it at first it's really painful um and then when I have to do with the or help people that leave and um see how their families are still communicating with them and looking after their children and um you know ringing up every day to see how you are I'm just like wow Mm. I concur with that because I've got a friend in New Zealand and they have a lot of contact with their family and yet I don't really have any at all. If any contact's made, it's um, me that makes the contact. It doesn't come from the other side. It does depend on the family, I think, because um, for many years after leaving, I did not speak up um, for, uh, to my recollection, around about a decade. Um, And that was because I was afraid of repercussions from my family because I was trying to see them. Mm. And so I would like turn down journalists who wanted to talk and things like that. And um, that, that's my recollection of it. And then for me, it finally reached a point where um, I realised that no matter what I do and how quiet I am, my family still will not communicate with me. So I think that, but I think that my family was particularly devoted to the brethren and particularly devoted to the principles of separation. So it might depend a little bit on that um, because, yeah, obviously now that I've started to speak up more in the last few years and, and there's reasons for that, um, now I know that they'll, they'll be viewing me as even worse. But, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that from my perspective, especially in my first few years out, um yeah, I wasn't being an active opposer, and yet my all of my siblings and family members um, and relatives still completely cut me off. So it might depend on how devoted the family member is to the party line and to the brethren yeah. system. I, th- I think you've got a good point there, actually, Lindy, because my family was exactly the same. Like yourself, I didn't speak up. I'd be now um nearly 10 years now and it's only during the last year that I've spoken up and that was really literally because I wasn't having any contact with my family anyway so that's how I felt Ross and I was the same I I did do one I mean I think I put my foot in it a bit because I 
did uh, take part in a newspaper article that went out, but there was literally only about two or three lines in the article that referred to me, really. Um, but there hadn't been any contact before that, um, yeah. and there was certainly mm -hmm. no contact after that. So in the end, I just thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well, you know, start speaking out. Mm. Maybe think, yeah. it was a bit different with me because I start i started speaking up inside of there so they were obviously like she's on the way out <laughs> you were doomed before you came out abby i know right <laughs> yeah yeah gilly yeah I, it's interesting because um i remember because i wasn't actually withdrawn from until two years after i left and there was a guy who had been i'd been very close to um He'd done a lot, you know, when I was in the Peebs, he looked after me a lot and was very, very close to him. Um, and in those first couple of years, he kept, you know, he kept in touch, not like, you know, as much as he ever did, but he was happy to keep in touch. And it wasn't until that I, he heard via the grapevine that I'd passed comment about uh, Bruce Hales. And the minute he heard that, he contacted me and said, no, if if you're if you're going to make comments like that, that's where the that's where the line's drawn. I can't have you. I can't have you making comments like that and keeping contact with you. And that was that was my yeah. experience, um, which I just thought, you know, he's he's been happy to keep in touch for the last couple of years. You know, knowing knowing where I stood in that sense, um, I've made it clear to him about you know how I felt, but it wasn't until. That I actually he'd heard that I'd made comments then, um, but it's interesting you saying about families because I remember again I probably probably within the first six months I guess I mentioned to that a mum that I was talking to family members who were outside, and they passed comments saying something about you know obviously you know you shouldn't be talking to those who are you know who have left and all the rest of it and. Um, but they sort of pass comment, you know. Well, as long as they're as long as they're not against the brethren and all the rest of it, I, yes. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't have the heart I didn't have the heart to tell them that the family member I was talking to hadn't got an ounce of time for the brethren at all. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it was that thing of as long as you're as long as you're happy to you know as long as you're not slating us, then you know we're we're happy for you to stay in touch with them and and likewise for us to stay in touch with you but it's the moment it's the moment you start vocalizing mm. Mm. So, so my experience was similar to yours in that i didn't do anything or say anything for the best part of 25 26 7 years um it wasn't i only had one immediate member of my family in so i was fortunate enough to have the majority of my immediate family with me and not so long back, my brother has actually told me that he doesn't want to have anything to do with me while I'm so opposed to the, the position, which I accept. But what upsets me is he won't have anything to do with my parents, who have never, ever spoken out or said anything. But when I took issue with that, it kind of got turned back and it was all on me. And what it led me to think about was 
what is it they're so afraid of? So we know, don't we, that Bruce Hales often says in ministry, because we've heard um, insiders tell us that he, he talks in his meetings about opposers and the wickedness of having contact with opposers. What is it that they're so frightened of? Because my biggest biggest wish would be that the leaders of the brethren would just sit down and talk to us. You know, you wouldn't get cross with them, you would, but they just sit down and talk to us but they won't do that so what is it that they're trying to instill um what is it they're frightened of cult tactics isn't it proper cult tactics um, I think so. yeah it's um it's putting the people in fear by using very bold statements about those that have left um and then but actually what the people the higher the higher end of the hierarchy are scared of is people believing us and therefore believing our truth rather than their truth and i and I, I think it's that and also i think personally you know i think they're scared um of the members finding out that actually we're still just the same people as we you know, where when we were in there, obviously not brainwashed and all the rest of it, but we're we're still we're still the same sons and daughters um, as we were when we were in there. We we haven't changed. We're just happier. Yeah, we're just happier and freer. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the ethos of the East and West in communist Europe, doesn't it? Where the <laughs> yeah. East believed totally that the West was wicked and. You don't want to go there. And then when the Berlin Wall came down, they found out, you know what, you're actually just like us. Mm. And that's what you almost wish for, isn't it? Um, that that Berlin Wall would come down. And I believe brethren are genuinely scared of that, you know, that we are just the same, you know. Uh, I think they like to build it up and build it up where these opposers and all the rest of it because it keeps the fear uh, the flock in there and keeps them inside the inside inside really yeah and then they give ministry out about um like one of the things that they've done for a couple of years is um in the back of um the white books there's extracts of previous leaders ministry and one of them was um loyalty to the commander and then Bruce Hale's ministers on loyalty to the commander, and then it's got the previous person's ministry in the back. So you've got a double whammy of being loyal to the commander, not even Jesus at this mm. point. It's to the leaders. And then you've got that rammed down your throat. So then they're like, if I'm not loyal to the commander, then I'm one of these opposers. Mm. And again, it's fear. And commander, I think, is quite... Um, when I think of a commander, I think of like an army something. Mm. I mean, it's I trying to explain to those that don't know of the brethren and to those in the brethren to maybe try and open their minds a little bit about, if you like, the hierarchy of where the opposers are. Lindy, you did, um, maybe you could talk us through a sort of little show you put together that kind of explains perhaps how things are viewed from the brethren mind. I'll just put it on the screen here. Um, perhaps you could talk us through 
what this explains about how the brethren mindset might be towards anybody outside of themselves. Yeah, well, I was actually just looking at it thinking it's got a clear, it's got a clear couple of flaws that I need to revise. But um, anyway, we can talk through those and maybe later we can share the proper version. But um, like the brethren have got a very particular view of themselves and of the rest of society as we know. And yeah, a few years ago, I, I drew something like this trying to describe to a friend um, yeah, what that's like and what are the kind of different levels. And so obviously at the very centre is Bruce Hales or the the man of God. Mm. And the closer you are to the centre, the closer you are to God, right? And then, you know, <laughs> the further out you go, the closer you are to Satan. Um, so, yeah, the man of God's at the centre. And then you've got the elders, which is um, obviously in the brethren. They might colloquially colloquially call them priests or um, the Levitical brothers is a peeb speak term um, referring to the Levites from the Old Testament. But basically that, you know, they're the head honchos, they're Bruce's <laughs> ring, ring leaders. Um, and yeah, so they're, they're kind of the next tier of holiness. And then you've got the laity, which um, is a, it's just a generally used religious term to mean the lay people or the people who aren't in religious leadership so it's just you know joe and jane blogs who are brethren members so that's the laity um they're the ones who um like it or not are actually propping up the whole system especially financially mm. might we just add um and then you've got worldlies who are yeah the um who they don't they try not to use that term publicly anymore but internally it was very much the term that the brethren used to describe anyone who who wasn't a member um it's these days are, now in it yes mm. these days they're trying really hard to refer to themselves as the community and those who aren't part of them as non-community members because obviously um as we know they've been you know to, um we understand they've been taking a lot of pr advice especially around how they're perceived by the outside world and and calling people worldly <laughs> does sound a bit derogatory whereas non-community is a lot more neutral um but yeah i i have been told that the term worldlies are still completely understood and used in there um and then this is where i'm actually missing i'm missing a concentric circle then there's the general outs just mm. and and that's usually the term that's used right it's just outs yeah. um or more formally former members and and thus yeah they're, they're sort of equivalent with worldlies although um they're viewed as a bit worse than worldlies like yeah you still shouldn't really talk to an out uh, and and then lastly um the black ring you've got you've got the opposers those who are the most wicked so yeah i i just thought I drew this for a friend a few years ago and I've just slapped it together into a PowerPoint now to try and um, to use here. But for anyone who's especially not familiar with the brethren, this would help you to understand. And I was trying to figure out where employees and like one school, global yeah. teachers and stuff, where they fit in. But really they're just among generic worldlies too, I think. Um, but I think they, if they you watch um, my uh, episode three of my podcast, it goes into this in more detail, like where everyone that's on the hierarchy oh, scale yeah. um oh, so the, people could have a look at that as well um but i just drew this <laughs> this is actually what it's like there's the little tiny weeny man of god inside and then the elders and then their laity and then this is 
the world leaves so this is like well how many billion people are in the world now oh yeah yeah and then yeah and then we've got (laughs) and then what was what's the next one outs and then opposers like he is a tiny yeah, well, that, that's reality but <laughs> that's reality but of course they they view the man of god and the brethren as being nearly yeah. everything like, and then worldlies and the outs are just little peripheral people on the outside i think it was um lane or someone in one of the podcasts talked about being at a football stadium and looking around and realizing that there were more people here than that were in the brethren globally and just being like what the heck we thought we were <laughs> i know yeah. right yeah. I, I mean like, sorry it's just an aside. May I say, Lindy, I love the way that you put the opposers in black. I think that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, very. Uh, I mean, what I'm trying, what we're trying to illustrate with that is, I think for somebody who has never been in the brethren, exactly what you used it for, Lindy, to try and describe the mindset when you're in the brethren, and I think we've all sort of demonstrated that a bit how we viewed people that were speaking out when we were in and how they were just it was just like talking about the devil to mention their name almost yeah. wasn't it yeah you're right you're right I I remember when I um at one point I someone early on in leaving a known opposer here in New Zealand made contact with me and I had heard of his name I knew nothing about him but I knew that he represented pure evil, you know. <laughs> and when he contacted me, I felt terror go through my body. Like I was like, I was I was terrified. I I, I thought there's no way I want to talk to this person. Um, and eventually I did, but I was very much like I'm keeping you at arm's length. It was you know a little bit like the way you might deal with a nasty spider in your house. You're, you're, it's like <laughs> I'm coming near you. I'm keeping you at arm's length and I'm just going to carefully remove you and put you outside of my immediate vicinity. And then when I actually did talk to him, he was so lovely. It also turned Mm. out he was a really um, passionate Christian, even a very Mm. conservative Christian, which shocked me because I, at that point I I still was under the impression like a lot of um, people are that you cannot leave and have a faith, Mm. which is connected with the supposer thing. So we could talk about that soon. But yeah, I remember that sense of terror and then the contrast with meeting him and being so confused by um, meeting someone who was nothing like the monster that I'd been portrayed. And it's it's made me realise now that um, you guys would have all seen this, but even with our work with Olive Leaf Network, there are so many people who leave um, or who want to leave and they won't reach out to the Olive Leaf Network or they won't reach out to us because they believe that indoctrination that we are really evil and that we're going to um influence them and that we hate the brethren and you know we sit around stirring witches cauldrons and building bombs whereas actually nothing could be further from the truth like we don't we don't hate the brethren we don't hate the brethren we hate the tyranny yeah, it's the system, and and I think it's the outcome of the system. Um, but I think it's quite good, you know, I, I'd want to say to anybody inside the Brethren who perhaps listens to what we're discussing, that even though we're classed as opposers for probably doing these podcasts, we do understand your mindset. We were there once. Mm. It's just that we've broken out of it. Mm. And I think that's quite important to get across. Um, I mean, if you're watching these podcasts, you've got to have doubts about the Brethren system anyway. Otherwise, you wouldn't watch the podcasts, would you? So, Or you're just a knob. 
that's trying to catch us out on stuff that you can sue us with. But I don't worry too much. Hi, hey. I'd just like to say as well to anybody that's got one foot in and one foot out, you won't drop down dead if you speak to us. No. Um, because, you know, we aren't bitter. We can just see you know, from the outside. And when you're on the outside and you can see in, you can see how rotten the whole system is. Yeah. And actually, yeah. I I used to be so, oh, to my shame, my goodness, I used to be so square, as they call it. And I went through like a super, not religious in a Christianity sense, religious to Bruce Hale's um, phase. And, you know, I'd look on the XP Facebook groups and I'd be like, what are these people on? And I'd go on the forums and I'd be like, they're so wrong and they must be so evil. Mm -hmm. And then I came out and I met these beautiful people and, they, and they're completely different to what with my bre brethren cap on. Um, once the indoctrination's dispersed and you can actually let yourself get to know the real person it's a whole different ball game completely different ball game and actually everyone's really nice but what i wanted to try and um touch on is i get that mindset i think we all do so oh, yeah. if we go back to our brethren days and how we thought then what is it that fuels that mindset and I personally believe it's the daily feeding on the rhetoric that comes about opposers. Um, and if you only ever listen to that, you're going to believe that. If I told a child from the day they're two years old that the leaves on the trees are purple, they would believe that because they wouldn't know any different. But you actually do need balance. And in a sense, I think opposers, if you think about it in a, a political sense, you have a government and you have an opposition. And the two just disagree on principle, which could be another story. But actually what they do do is give an alternative viewpoint so people can make a rational decision. And that's, I think, very much what's lacking in the brethren. So it is, as you said earlier, Abby, it's that cult-like mentality whereby you keep feeding this rhetoric. You know, if you talk to the opposers, the terrible things are going to happen to you. But it's a, it's a cul-de-sac conversation because nobody defines exactly what an opposer is. Nobody defines exactly what they're opposed to. It's like rhetoric and they mm. end up believing it. So I can understand the mindset. Um, mm. I think what changed my mindset, and it actually happened just before I left the Brethren, because um, I, I talked like that all of my life in the Brethren, but I was going down to AA meetings in London, uh, meeting, meeting worldly people anyway, mm. um, and I actually met up with two people who the Brethren class as evil. If they, I mean, they did then because... Um, it was two people that had a lot to do with the charity commission matter at the time because I left roundabout when that was all happening. And I met up with them in London and they were actually just, I mean, I wouldn't exactly call them my friends, but they, they're just decent, you know, decent people really. Mm. And that, that changed, changed my thinking. But had I not been going down to AA meetings in London, I think when I left, I would have still 
had that mindset that I had whilst in the Brethren. Mm. I think it's important to point out that, uh, especially to those, if we, you know, if we're talking about people who are listening on the inside, is that the, you know, we we've talked about the transformation from, you know, from being brainwashed to believing only what the Brethren believe and then for for those of us who have left for seeing it you know for seeing what it is now but i think it's important to point out to those who are listening on the inside that you know the, the brethren will tell you that's the devil getting into us that that we will be you know us seeing a different point of view now is that we're being possessed by the devil well mm. no it's it's just called having your eyes opened and like we've just said about seeing an alternative view and seeing that actually, yes, there's two sides to this story. Mm. There's two sides to this point of view. Mm. And I think it's important that we point that out because people in the inside will have that drummed into them that those of us who are now speak, you know, speak against the brethren or, you know, speak truth about them, that they'll be, or they'll, they'll be thinking that we're possessed by the devil. Well, no, we're mm. not. We're just, we're, we just had our eyes open yeah. and can actually see that there is another point of view. Yeah. And they think yeah. that we've turned our backs on the light, whereas actually we haven't. Our eyes have just been, like you say, open to a whole other viewpoint. And um, I was reading some stuff the other day of what has been said about these so-called opposers and that, you know, they're having these special prayer meetings that will be removed and i um i dug out some old ministry and i found um that um bruce hale said that um the brethren should pray that we should be removed like that's a pretty harsh yeah. thing to say it's it's a big um it's a big thing for, to get your flock to pray for like yeah. actual removal is actually what death well i i know somebody inside the brethren that did ask what was meant by the, the the actual um words they were praying for they were exhorted to pray that those against mr hales should be removed and that's what they actually prayed for and somebody inside did ask um what do we mean by removed and they didn't get a reply but they have to be very, very careful with things like that, because that in English law could be considered as hate speech. And hate speech is, hate is speech. a criminal. Yeah, it's a criminal offence. And it's similar to, um, you know, the uh, when, when Salman Rushdie had a fatwa issued against him. I mean, they were a bit more obvious in saying it was a fatwa, which is a death sentence. But it's a similar thing. And they have to be very, very careful of that. But I wonder what that kind of thing does to the minds of the brethren inside. Do any of them, do you think, stop and think, hold on a minute, am I actually sitting here and praying that people who I think are opposed to the brethren might die? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, Lindy? Oh, I was just going to say, well, the, um, the thing is, even if they do think that, it's okay in their mindset because I think all of us, um, you know, I'm going to be a bit provocative here, but say if 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 we, you know, believe that somebody was genuinely a huge threat, was really destructive, was really wicked, that was roaming around the world today, um, 
so, or, or or has, you know, like I'm thinking mm. of, you know, your Hitler or or whatever. Some other people might put Trump, I don't know, whoever in that category, <laughs> or, or like a, you know, a really terrible child abuser or a murderer. Um, you know, we would probably feel happy if we heard that person died, right? Um, Whereas they protect so, them. The child well, abusers, well, they protect. No, but, yeah, but my point that I'm trying mm. to say I know, is yeah. that in our worldview, if somebody is really wicked and terrible and destructive and evil yeah we do feel happy when they die mm. or we might wish for them to die and so again in in the brethren's whole mentality yeah um they have been taught that we are these wicked evil destructive people to be feared and so because that whole um way of thinking has already been been sowed and as you said it's like a rhetoric that's been there mm. you grow up in it you soak in it then um it's it's such an easy thing to do to to think yeah that's great if mm. so and so dies there's a really interesting little short film called the push um i should try and find it to put the link in the notes but it shows it was like a psychological experiment thing where they um they did a whole lot of things to build unsuspecting people up to shoving someone off um a high building and mm. um they did actually have a safety net in place in that, but it was really scary how many people actually it was quite easy to get them to that point. And it sort of shows you that, again, if you build this whole worldview and this constant indoctrination yeah. about a certain thing, it's very, very easy to get people to pray for the death yeah. of someone who they believe is an opposer mm, or yeah. to do um, to pay for surveillance against them or to fork out thousands to try and litigate them to the ground. Like, so I feel like appealing to their sense of humanity or compassion doesn't work because we are yeah. not worthy of compassion. Yeah. We 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 are we we crap beneath their feet, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that's interesting. You mentioned that, Lindy, because it's exactly that's exactly what I was thinking. And you know, going even further, it's only got to take one really fanatical person that's totally in awe of Bruce Hales to actually. Dare I say it, kill one of us. Hmm. Because as you say, the rhetoric's there for so long. And like you um, illustrated about that film, you know, it was built up and up and up until they pushed somebody off a high building. Well, who's to say that harm can become one of us from one of the members? Obviously, mm -hmm. it would come from Bruce Hales himself, but it could easily come from one of the members that's been so indoctrinated. Yeah. And there, there has been death threats. There's been absolute obvious death threats. I know people, um, I have to be careful what I say, um, but they're living under police protection because the death threats are real mm. and, and they are traceable back to the hierarchy of, 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 the, of the leaders of the brethren. And you just think, you know, I, I personally don't believe that that God would hear those prayers because they're prayers of hate. They're and that I mean, murder is is it's completely ungodly. Um, I remember I was still in the Brethren at this time. I remember there was someone working alongside a journalist in Sydney that I I can't remember the name. It's been years since I read the article but i remember um one of the people working with the journalist i think it was a member of the brethren or an maybe an ex-member of the brethren i can't remember 
um, but he was supporting this journalist and he died of a heart attack. And I remember Bruce Hales ministered that this person had, God had come down and struck them because of what they were doing. And that, you know, that um, puts massive fear in you that God can actually come and strike you down. And that's not the God I know now. The God I know now is a loving God. He doesn't do stuff like that. I mean, I think what um, the brethren, I'm trying to think when I, I mean, it's a long time for me, what my brethren mindset, I think my brethren mindset would have been very much as Lindy describes, that the people I would be praying for to be removed, mm. that's what they deserve. I don't think with my brethren mindset, you would want them, but it would more be they'd get an illness that would, you know, or some terrible accident or something. But I also agree with you, Ross, um, fanaticism knows no bounds. Mm. And you only have to look at what happened in World War Two, where you had whole communities of Jewish people being executed for no reason other than the fact they were Jewish, that you see how far fanaticism can um, go. Um, and what I would say to anyone outside who is fearful of that is, the police do take this kind of speech quite seriously. And I personally have reported it to the police because I was concerned. They took it very seriously and they have given an incident number. So it is something that, you know, for your own personal protection, um, it's worth lodging, I think, personally. You like to think nothing will happen, but fanaticism, you don't know where it can go, do you? Um mm -hmm. And the influence such a thing can the, have on a person's mind. Yeah. On the flip side, we want to say to our listeners, to the to the listeners here, that we don't endorse um, no. violence or hate speech. But no. and this is where it gets tricky because um, you know recently there was a legal case here in New Zealand with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Jehovah's Witnesses were um, trying to get out of being included in the Royal Commission of Inquiry into mm -hmm. Abuse and Care. And um, and they were claiming, oh, religious persecution, religious persecution. Um, and and the lawyer acting for the attorney general said, criticism of a religion is allowed. That is not a breach of your. Um, that is not persecution of religion. And that's where I think there's such kind of clever mind games being played here. Because yes, we are criticising the exclusive brethren doctrines and practices that we believe are harmful. Um, and and yet, you know, th yeah, there's a quote floating somewhere on the internet that says, you know, let me never be so um, presumptuous or something as to believe I'm being persecuted when um, I'm simply being yeah, held to account or criticised. And that kind of thing is going on because, yes, we do criticise, yes, we do call out mm. things that we believe are harmful, but that doesn't mean that we hate the brethren or that we, no. yeah, want to see them all dead or any of these awful violent crimes. And I think... Ex-members have to be careful as well because there are severe injustices and huge amounts of pain. Um, mm. And recently, I think this year, there's been two terrible crimes committed by ex-Jehovah Witnesses where they've um, caused death to current members. Mm. Um, and, and I don't know all the details of the cases, um, but I understand they were, they were former members who were carrying a lot of pain and a lot of concern, and they did commit acts of violence, which is awful. And I would say to any ex-brethren that's feeling really, really um, 
wounded or like their life is being destroyed to please reach out and seek help and yes, get support definitely. because violence violence is never ever the answer no no yeah. it isn't and and actually that sort of you're absolutely right lindy I, there, there is no harm wished on any member of the brethren um and two wrongs don't make a right um and, but but you do have a certain empathy for the extreme pain, as you say, those two members, ex-members of the Jehovah's Witness community had probably suffered similar pain and trauma that many ex-brethren members had. And you can understand how that can just become overwhelming that you can take to doing something almost not in a sound state of mind. Mm. Um, oh, but help is there. Right, Reach yeah. out to the... the, yeah. the, the, the you know, to the Olive Leaf Network or other networks, there's some in the UK here, the Family Survival Trust and so on, that will put you in touch with people who can help you cope with that. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think this goes back to, um, it'd be good to have a quick chat about this bitter thing. I think it was yes. um, Ross who mentioned it earlier, because that is a phrase, as we know, it's brethren speak. And I was, I was quite amused recently to learn that Jehovah's Witnesses also use the exact phrase and poison. <laughs> These are two phrases that are used by the brethren to um, describe opposers, right? They call them bitter and they call yeah. them poison. And I was so fascinated to learn that the Jehovah's Witnesses use um, those phrases as well. And I think there was another group, it was the two by twos or something like that, that used the same expression. So it's always kind of slightly amusing when you find that there's another group that also believes they have the light and yes. the, you know the man of god and um but yeah i mean i think it would be helpful to talk about those two phrases um mm. like mm. like let, let's go with better right like what's um one of your understanding you know hit me with what's your understanding of what the brethren mean when they use that term that's interesting um i mean bitter 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 implies somebody that's, to me, and I'm not like, well, I'll look it up in a minute, but I'm not at the moment, that somebody that's full of hate and hate that perhaps isn't necessarily justified. They can't get past that hate and that anger. That's certainly not, I, not what I feel towards the brethren. I don't know what others' opinions are on that. When, yeah, I, not... when I hear the word bitter, I think of like a sour lemon and like that there in your mouth. And actually, maybe I am a bit bitter. I'm all right with that because what I've been through, no one should ever have to go through. So maybe I am a bit bitter because there's been so much injustice. Okay, I'm talking about myself in my life and a lot of other people's lives. Um, I haven't got to that stage of healing where I'm not no longer bitter right now. I probably am bitter. I'll, I'll I'll absolutely hold my hands up and say I'm probably one of the bitter people that that and that that I'd be labelled as bitter. Yeah, I am. I'm okay with that right now because I think if that if it happened to them, what happened to me? Um, at the hands of the brethren, I don't think that they could sit on their high horse and say that they'd feel any different. No, my understanding of bitter is really the same as yours, Jackie. You know, you can't get past the anger and hate. That's what it implies. But the converse is totally true because, you know, I miss my mum more and more every single day that goes by. Hmm. They just 
it gets hard. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Mm. Um, so, how do you equate that with being bitter? Yeah, I mean, there's there are two ways of looking at it. Because bitter, I think, as a word, is a very negative sounding word, isn't it? It mm. it, it it implies hate. It's a negative word. Now, I don't know if they still do. I'm sure they do. But when I was in the brethren, one of the phrases they used to use which I prefer, was righteous anger. And (laughs) I thought they still use that (laughs) phrase. But I I do remember they used to talk about righteous anger and they said it it, it was an anger, if you like, that was fair because something was unjust. But that also could be used to describe somebody that's bitter. You know, you could argue people have been through so much that the anger they feel is righteous but it's what they do with that anger and bitterness or, you know, anger, isn't it, that yeah. perhaps is the more difficult thing, how they channel that anger. Well, I'd say I'm fueling it for change. Yeah. So, and trying to protect the children in there. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with and appreciate all all those things you've shared cause, and, I, and I agree, I think that um, bitterness in the in the you know I haven't looked up a dictionary definition of it, but it it, it does sort of refer to that um, holding on to something and, and it's viewed as like an unjustified holding on to resentment and that sort of thing. Whereas um, I know for myself and I think for many many ex brethren, um, yes, we have an ongoing sense of pain and a sense of injustice and a sense of hurt. We have ongoing grief that we carry, like Ross saying that he still desperately mm. misses his mum. Um, I think all of us have this ongoing grief and pain, particularly because of the doctrine of separation and um, what it's done to us as well as as well as other things. And what I want to say so clearly to people in the brethren and to ex-brethren is that feeling pain in an ongoing way and, and feeling that righteous anger, as Jackie said, that is not the same as being bitter. Mm. The brethren look at those expressions of pain and they say, there's a bitter person. It is, mm. does not necessarily mean it's the same thing. Um, yeah, being, being being we're allowed to carry pain mm. and, and to talk about it. It's, it's, it's our reality. And to mm. talk about it does not mean that we're bitter. I think it's a, um, a I think sometimes in culty terminology, it's called a thought-stopping cliche or like a Offending phrase that the brethren yeah. use to shut yeah, they, and it's a phrase that brethren use to shut stuff down. And I think that's true of when, when we express our pain and our hurt and say, this is what's happened to me, their response, instead of being able to acknowledge it and say, that's really hard, yes, it's been a very destructive road, instead their response is to shut it down by saying, don't listen to that person, they're just bitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think wow, that's so interesting. It is really interesting. I think they make a negative um word because they want the control and people to stay in there not you know but um i was just looking up the definition of bitter and apparently it's a feeling of sh- a feeling or showing anger hurt or resentment because of bad experiences or a sense of unjust treatment mm. not a bad thing mm. but it's I <laughs> yeah so sums it up really uh, and i think it's it's exactly what we say it, it the feelings that any of us have as a result of our experiences of being in the brethren are not something there's something we should own there's something we should not deny 
um it's where you take them to the next step and as you say i think you're right lindy i think they use the word bitter to shut down analyzing exactly what it is we're trying to do and i wanted to pick up another word that you use there lindy when you first spoke about bitterness and that was the word poison because that's another word that's been banded around in the brethren a little bit about the things we say and the influence we can have um so i want to sort of delve into that a little bit more i mean i know yeah. we all know the infamous rat poison ministry where um your brother, wasn't he, Lindy, was referred to. And at the time he was going through a certain amount of mental torment. And the inference of the wording was that rather than having the occasional correspondence with you, his sister, who wasn't in the Brethren at the time, he would be better off taking rat poison. That was the inference of what he said, wasn't it? Now, the Brethren say, because yeah, this was oh, the national press, and it's readily there in the public domain what Bruce Hale said. And the Brethren's defence to that was what Bruce Hale said was taken out of context um, by the press. I mean, is that something that we... <laughs> You're laughing, Lindy. <laughs> yeah, well, like, just, just to quickly set the scene, if anybody isn't aware yes. of it, because it was a few years ago now already. But, yes. um, yeah, so, um, I mean, I left in 2008, and my my brother Braden, along with the rest of my family, completely cut me off. Um, and several years went by, I think probably four or so or five years. And um, and then I got one or two tiny little emails from mm -hmm. him. And it was like, it was literally like, hey, how are you doing? And then I was like so excited to hear from him that I sent all these questions and was really wanting to connect. And he wouldn't reply much because you know how some people are. They still think you're a bit wicked. And yeah, and he, it was like next to no contact at all. Like, and yeah, like it was literally, I think, two mm. or three emails. Mm. Very That's short. what I understood. Like, just, yeah. Just, just, even paint, just to even paint some of the background context. Um, but yeah, and then my brother was living in England and um, yeah, he was struggling and he was staying with an Englishman. Mm. Um, um and like I think yeah why I feel like this kind of matters just for setting the scene maybe for those who aren't brethren but when people are struggling in the brethren you believe that you know hearing from Bruce Howes about your situation or a situation you care about is equivalent to kind of ch touching Jesus robe as he walks past mm. and but because lots of brethren can't get time with Bruce Hales what this weird habit they have have, this practice they have is to pick up the mic in a fellowship meeting or, or a brethren conference and just barge in there and you know you've got to be really desperate to do this um you really want to hear from the man of god and hear from you know the holy spirit to, to give divine insight into this burden that you're carrying and so um this englishman had been having my brother live with him and and I, I, I think he's, you know, he's a good guy and he was caring for my brother and he was mm -hmm. desperately reaching out to Bruce Hales, asking and hoping for, you know, a word of encouragement, some advice to help him and to help to take back to help this young man who was struggling. And yeah, I just feel like that context matters because it was a struggling young guy and a, and a kind man who was doing his best to help him. Um reaching out to Bruce Howes in a public setting. And as we know, all of the ministry is printed verbatim into little um, paperback white books and distributed around the globe 
within a couple of weeks of the meeting before it is then later printed into the more um, the coloured bound versions. And so this wasn't just a private conversation in a, in a um, you know, in a, in a meeting room in a house or anything. This was said publicly and then it was printed verbatim and it was published to every single Brethren household in the white books. Yeah. And can um, I also add on that? It was said publicly. It was also said in a place of public religious worship, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So it was, it, and it, I think it, the it, interesting thing about that wording was that opposers and opponents to the truth were mentioned. Um, yeah. And so obviously even then, because at the time I had no idea like when I heard about it, I had no idea really at first that Bruce Howes was talking possibly about me um, because, like I said, I had, wasn't doing anything to be an opposer at that time. Like I was studying at Bible college, for goodness sake, literally, um, at, at that, in that year. Um, and, um, yeah, so then this this stuff came out that Bruce Howes responded to him by um Somehow Bruce Howes must have heard, I can't remember the exact um, exchange there in the meeting, but must have heard or had some idea that Braden was talking to me or talking to some other opponents of the truth. And because he specifically said, if he's doing that, um, then you might as well finish yourself off, I think was the wording that was used. Is that right, Jackie? Have Something you got like some that. of that? I comments? mean, the, the question asked, and I'll um, paraphrase it, but um, the you, you spoke about somebody raising the question in the meeting, which is a public, you know, um, church meeting. And the question asked, they said they were concerned about his, his presumably being your brother, contact with someone who's under discipline and deposed. So that was obviously right. their view of you at the time. I, you know, which is um, I don't know quite how they got that view, and the response um was more or less to say, I mean, you know, if if he's having links with persons under discipline or opposed, that's the poison, that's the rotten poison. So this is, as I say, uh, the kind of yeah, go on. Oh, so he sort of did a play on words that he was saying that talking with the opposers yeah. is poison. And so yeah. then he's saying you're better to go and take some actual poison like rat poison or arsenic was what um, was what right. he suggested. Yeah, he but, then went yeah. on to say um, the trouble with your fellow is he's got poisoned and he might as well get a shot off. And that's when he went on to talk about poison and arsenic. Um, yeah. So... So that's, that's a really powerful illustration oh, of what we've been trying to say that absolutely. Bruce House yeah, actively teaches um yeah, actively teaches that to have to do with opposers is the same thing as drinking poison or, or yep. taking poison into your system, which again it's very dehumanizing and very like very strong language, right? Yes. Um and, and that's when you start to get concerned is when one group like when when people look at hate speech and look at look look at groups that are um you know yeah getting extreme one of the things they do is to employ really extreme language especially mm. to um dehumanize those who they're set against and that does yeah. really concern me here is that um yeah for Bruce Hales to use language like poison to describe ex-members is is really hateful 
Mm. Yeah, and to set the scene, this would have been, I mean, this was some eight years ago now, so it was a little while ago, eight, nine years ago, but it would have been what the Brethren call a fellowship meeting here in the UK, Um, and there would have been several thousand people there, I would imagine, because these meetings normally do have. But what concerned me most about that kind of rhetoric, that likening talking to those um, to explain to anybody who's non-brethren, under discipline means anybody who has been withdrawn from the brethren. That's how they refer sometimes to us who aren't aren't among them. We're under discipline. Um, that would have been heard by children, teenagers. In other words, people with very impressionable minds um, growing up with that kind of rhetoric. And you can understand how then they have the fear of anybody who is under discipline let alone opposed uh, and speaking out, can't you? And um, also another really weird thing that I just find inexplicable is that um, current members have informed me that the, is it Brown Book for Hales? The, yes. the bound volume yeah. of his ministry, those meetings, the whole poison stuff has been edited out. Yeah. Um, we know it happened. It was printed in the white books and distributed around the world. So, you know, at least the question, why would they then edit that out of the brown books? Like it just, yeah, it reminds me, of, I don't know if you guys have read 1984, but there's constant revisioning of Which history is, in 1984 yeah. and of the newspapers and what happened. And it's like, for me, it feels like a similar thing is happening here. It's like, why would you send out something one week and then a few months later just completely remove all literally. trace of it? Yeah. So, yeah. so to, again, to explain, and more recent leavers, correct me if I've got this understanding wrong, but the white books come out every week and they're, they're Bruce Hales's ministry and meetings. And then they condense it down to one big book that comes out once a month or something like that. And what you're saying is, Lindy, in the big book, they condensed it. They'd actually taken this out. Um, but the words, the words in the that he actually quoted have been quoted in the national press. So we know it's there because we know the white book is out there somewhere and has been leaked to the national press because it was quoted there. But again, I think the brethren are taught very much to have a big fear of the media as well. I remember a story of um, one ex-member who asked their parents if they'd read an article that had come out again some years back. It came out in the Times here in the UK, which is quite a well-thought-of newspaper. And the response they got was, I don't need to read that because I know it's all lies. So yeah. it's that absolute blind belief that stems from the fear. It's not even I've, I've read it and discounted it. It was that I don't need to read it because I know it's lies. Mm. Um, so maybe they believe the white book was the original white book that came out was lies. I don't know, Lindy or anyone else. How do they explain that well, away? I think in their view, because um, at some stage I had communication from my mum about it or mum yeah. talked to Braden or something. And again, in their, in their view, it wasn't a bad thing for Bruce Howes to say because yes. they do believe that having to do with outsiders is poison. And so, yeah, for them it was, you know, accurate. But, you know, there are a couple of other things he said at that same point that I found really weird. I think he made some reference about him drinking that people might think he's drinking which again it's like why is a man of god saying this in a religious context i think he said it at a similar you know a few um minutes later or something and yes. he also made a joke about my brother's name because my brother's initials are bs and yes. um bss and, and he made a joke and, and said oh it, that's just bs isn't it like which everyone knows that's a joke about 
the acronym um, for bullshit. Mm. And so I'm like, well, even if the poison stuff, you've got a reason for that. Can you tell me why your man of God is making a slur on a young man in trouble's name and 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 making a slur about it being like a swear word? Like, where's where's the love and compassion and the Holy Spirit kind of wisdom and grace in that, you know? So just your yeah, Christianity. Yeah, just what a lovely example of Christianity he is. Yeah. Mm. But it's bringing up yeah. some really raw stuff for me. Um, um, so I was in the Brethren at, at the point of this ministry, and I was at the very impressionable stage. Um, and I was really suffering with my mental health. I was going through court cases about the um, sexual abuse that I suffered as a child and um, I had basically no support and um, I was suicidal no doubt about it and I'm quite happy to admit it and I remember brothers coming home from the Sutton meeting and quoting what Bruce Hales had said about rat poison and arsenic etc and they kind of put put it into a kind of it sounded like scriptural scriptural language and they said that it's better to die than to sin mm. and at the end of my suicide I wrote a suicide letter and at the end of my suicide letter um I I wrote those words that it's better to die than than to sin and that that was the impression that it had on me well, as a that young, was the bit that as a young person me when when all of this was leaked out um that was the bit that concerned me is if this is the rhetoric that's coming from the person you believe is the man of god because they do believe that the brethren and you are feeling at a very low ebb yourself um you know, it, it it comes down to the the, the suggestiveness of it. You know, yeah, and it's uh, and it's not on an impressionable people. Yeah, and the and the the people that were at that fellowship meeting, it was a special meeting. It was one of the last meetings of his England tour, and the people that went um, were the special last like. The people that go to the last meeting, I suppose it's like the end of a sort of Elton John concert, I suppose, where he's never going to be seen again because that's what everyone thinks about Bruce Hales every time he bloody comes over that we might not see him again. That'll be the day. Um, mm. That's not a death threat. <laughs> 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 um, and they came back what they'd call fired up and so to hear those things from people that are so-called fired up and that they've got the gift of the gab and that's how they've brought the ministry back you know it it really leaves a um well for me it's a scar for other people it, it really leaves an impression it's really really bloody dangerous yeah. it's it's terrifyingly dangerous it is and i think it's something that for bruce hales won't go away <laughs> no, it's one of those mosquitoes in your bedroom at one o'clock yeah, in the morning yeah. keeps buzzing, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to. I think... Sorry, could I on. just jump in just say one thing around um, 
Another thing that helps you to understand the mentality is that Bruce Hales mm. and um, I think John and a couple of the other great men, they've sort of for a while in, in the Brethren theology, they've um, slowly been from Derby onwards, it's built and built and built. Um, and if anyone's interested, I can send you some information around sh showing this. But um, jo Bruce Hales has categorically stated that you can't leave the brethren and mm. be and retain your salvation. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, like I said, this is something he's built on previous leaders. They've been slowly over the decades, increasingly bringing in this teaching that um, salvation is in the assembly, blessed sphere, as the hymn says. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and, oh, and like, no. It's quite, it's quite tricky because they do, on the one hand, give lip service to salvation being in Jesus Christ, but they have actually added on salvation in the assembly, that, mm -hmm. that, is, you know, where, that is where you can... Um, only experience and enjoy salvation. And, and so by default, then, if you leave, you lose your salvation. You lose and Bruce Houses, he's categorically taught that, that you cannot leave and retain your salvation, which I challenge you, find me that in Scripture. You yeah. know, um, it's it's not in Scripture. It's it's particular brethren theology that they've overlaid onto um, their interpretation of Christianity. And so I think it kind of relates because it plays into this whole thing where they then paint us opposers as not just, we're not even just bitter people, but they teach that we are people who threaten their very salvation mm. and who who threaten to take away the salvation of individuals as well as who, who threaten um, this very special thing, the assembly. And so, yeah, they lay all these religious layers of, of spiritual meaning and theological meaning over it. That yeah mm. mean that we're so much worse than just a bunch of bitter people. We we're a spiritual threat to them as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so to any listener, I encourage you like if you, if you're worried about this stuff, if you're worried that yeah that Bruce really is the only man of God and that salvation can only be experienced in the assembly, like go to your Bible, read your Bible, look, look it up for yourself, look up for scriptures. Um. That, that might challenge or question this stuff because I think you'll find that a lot of the scriptures they use to describe us, opposers, are actually just talking about general salvation. They're, they're not to do with whether or not you belong to the brethren. You know, yeah. like, um, for example, there's one one verse they use, is I think from Matthew, and it says um, something about if the light in you turns to darkness, oh, how great the darkness will be. And they use that sort of thing to say, oh, when you leave, you become fully darkness. You know, that's what an opposer is. Mm. Whereas scripture's got nothing to do with membership in the PBCC or not. It's to do with your own individual walk with God. Mm. Um, and you can leave the brethren and have a walk with God. Your salvation does not need the PBCC to be a mediator between you and God. So any brethren who like that verse, go and read the one straight after it because it's the it. one about you cannot serve two masters, yeah. you cannot love God for money, which is quite a relevant one for brethren mm. to reflect on. My I think that's a really <laughs> I think that's a really important point, Lindy, because as you say, again, it's the rhetoric they're fed in there, isn't it? And the rhetoric is not just that we're speaking out against 
the brethren that it's built up into to, to we're speaking out against christianity and we're speaking out and, and and that's not the case at all and and it's totally not the case and i think that probably leads into um perhaps now sort of just discussing a little bit about why do we do what we do because we've, we've kind of told anybody listening um, we've kind of un- tried to understand their mindset because we all had that mindset being ex-members we were all there and we've also sort of spoke about our own experiences of how when we come out and we suddenly realize that hey this world is full of human beings just like me which is a bit of a but but then why 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 are we speaking out why are we trying to effect change or to help or, or what are our motives for doing it um because i think I'd maybe people inside understand that go on lindy yeah <laughs> I was, i'd love to hear from gilly about that because yeah in many ways um for you to speak up you know, you spoke up quite a number of years after leaving you did which is unusual because a lot of people just yeah choose to never ever speak up and there mm. are costs to speaking up like we know and you spoke about also you didn't just speak up but you shared about something that's very taboo and possibly quite shameful especially as a man so yeah what what led you to speak up well I think for me personally obviously that you know there's the um the element that I'd obviously been through therapy and you know reached a point of being at peace with what I'd been through um Mm. and and acknowledging that actually you know, not to go too much into my personal situation, but acknowledging that actually I wasn't at fault, which is what I believed for years. Um, but also, I think the the thing, the the other element for me is that I know full well um, that I would probably never, realistically, I'll probably never re- get legal justice mm. um, because it's my word against my abusers. There's, you know, there's there's no evidence other than our word. Um, the brethren have a track record of throwing, you know, endless amounts of money at court cases like that. So the chances are, from a legal point of view, I will probably never get justice. So from my from my my point, my own personal point of view, this is my justice. Mm-hmm. I can expose something for what it is. I can encourage people to talk, to speak out. I can encourage people to uh, to realise that something actually isn't right. It isn't normal, because you know that was the, that was my personal situation. That was what that I was told that it was. You know, it was normal. It was okay. It was you know all these things. If someone can recognise parts of my story and apply it to their own story and go, actually, yeah, that rings bells. Yes, that you know that resonates with me. Then, if I can, if I can help one person. To put a stop to something they're going through, whether it, regardless of what it is, whether it's abuse or, you know, anything. If I can help someone stop, you know, put a stop to what they're suffering and to what they're being put through, then that that in in from my point of view is more justice than someone being, you know, what would the punishment be? You know, the couple years in jail at most. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, you know, we, we don't know what the justice system would ever do. Mm. And the likelihood is they'd still be protected in the peeps, they'd still be, you know, they'd still have all the, everything that, you know, all the protection they wanted. Um, 
So for me, this this is a way of saying, look, I've, I've come through the other side. I managed to, you know, I managed to expose something. I can, hopefully someone else can see it, can, can bring a parallel to their experience mm-hmm. and go, yeah, you know, that's, that's where, you know, and can recognize their own experiences and, and hopefully have the courage to talk to someone, whether, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean speaking out publicly, but enough to, to bring a stop to, um, what they've been through. Yeah. It's the yeah. accountability thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's holding, holding people to account that, you know, you can, <laughs> it's, the, it's the old thing, isn't it? You can try and silence people. Um, but I, you know, I've said it before. I know I said it in my personal podcast. You're not going to silence me. Yeah. No. Really proud of you, Gilly. But yeah, sorry. So, hope, hope, today. No, I think that's really interesting, I, Gilly, because you're right about the legal justice. And in a sense, sometimes if you go down the route, that route with what you suffered, what does it achieve? What will affect the change is the exposing of the system that allows these abuses, whatever they are, whether they're abuses towards children or whether they're abuses within a marriage or whether they're alcoholic abuses, whatever the abuses are, it's exposing those abuses that will put pressure on them slowly, slowly, slowly to change or stop or give people the courage to realise that they are victims of whatever abuse they are victims of. Mm. Yeah, and I I think it's that it's that it's also coming to that point of realisation. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. for me personally, I never wanted to acknowledge what that was, mm-hmm. because it was too like like Lindy like Lindy says it was too it was too shameful. Yeah, because it, you know, and especially especially in the in the brethren, if that had come out in the brethren, I would have had a label as a weirdo. Yeah, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And it's that kind of if I can just help one person realize actually, look, you had no part in this. You had no, you know, fault wasn't that your door. Yeah, that's yeah. so important. Mm. And yeah, Bruce Hales labels us as dopes, as mindless, filled by Satan. I've written out a list that God's finished with them, that we're full of the spirit of Antichrist, the Antichrist. And that will be wow. left out in the cold, maybe eternally. That we're grievous wolves. We've given out the person of the Christ. Um, we might be speaking about sacred things that they have no right to let the, those words leave their mouth. Every word they utter is blasphemy. Every breath is blasphemy. After you've just wow. heard what Gilly said, do you really think? that he's any of those things, that we're any of those things, because we're all standing for the same thing as Gilly, let's be honest. Does mm-hmm. it sound like Gilly is filled with Satan against what's true? I don't think so. It's like- really interesting, Abby, because um, 
yeah, I've had I've been having a bit more to do with some XJWs because they've been contacting Olive Leaf Network, and um, that's interesting. You said that stuff about them being part of the Antichrist that Bruce Howes has taught that because um, the JWs don't call it opposers; they call them apostates. But it's mm. the same term. It's, it's the same thing. Of, yeah, yeah. People have left the faith, and and they believe that they're part of the Antichrist, and mm. and that they're doomed for destruction and all that sort of thing. And um, um, yeah, I did some religious studies at some point, um, not very much, but um, I came across briefly that there are other terms that other groups use as well. Like I think for Jews it's um, kofir or something, which is similar to the, the Arabic term kafir. But it's like, yeah, every group it seems has got a label, not just for outsiders, but those who have left the faith and then in particular those who speak up. So I, I haven't left the faith. I've yeah, but sorry, yeah, you've left their doctrine, left their version of faith. Yeah, right, and I, yeah. I, find that, I find that helpful to be reminded that these are um, really common social mm. practices that a lot of a lot of religious groups or high control groups practice. Is uh, yeah, choosing particular designations for those who they view are really reprehensible. To realise that. I don't know. It just helps me to realise that the brethren are not alone in doing this. They're not unique. No, yeah. not at all. But then for, from a religious point of view, from a Christian point of view, to be accused that you're going on with, in the spirit of the Antichrist, and to, yeah. an Antichrist is anyone who is against Jesus Christ and teaches that Jesus is not from God or not the Son of God, to say that opposers or apostates of that and where those people know <laughs> it's just yeah. completely ludicrous and then um i was messaging um someone that left a very very long time ago and um they said to me the irony the irony is is that they could possibly be coming themselves dangerously close to that because they are preaching the only way to be saved is through them and the only way you're going to be saved is to be found among the brethren when he returns, which actually is adding to the gospel, which scripture tells us explicitly not to do. <laughs> yeah. And that's over against the, the, the idea that Christ is the only person that can save us from this world. I don't know. You're way more, um, I don't know, what's the word, spiritual than me. So you'll, you'll be able to put like some scripture to it or something. But <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no you're, yeah, you're completely right. I guess, you know, in summary, we could say, look, if you don't believe in God, then you don't have to be afraid of the brethren no. and their doctrines. And, and we're also trying to say, if you do believe in God, you don't have to be afraid of the brethren and their doctrines. And whether you do or don't believe in God, um, opposers are not the Antichrist. And as Skilly said, like, I think if we went through each of us, we've got our motivations are not sourced in hatred. Our motivations are sourced in love, care, and compassion for people um, who are still in there. And if you want to stay in there and keep living that life, that's your choice. Fine. But our, partic our particular concern is for those who want to leave or those who are um, born and raised in there and haven't had a choice or those who are particularly vulnerable. Like, for, for me, I had gone on and built a new life. I've, I, I love my life. I've got great support and friends and family 
but you it was hate your it, life in this world, Lindy. Oh yes, yeah. I've had that one thrown at me. Um, but, but the, the point, oh yeah, because for me, it wasn't until my brother got booted out, and even hearing this whole poison thing, and then seeing my brother get booted out and the immense pressure and strain my family went under, and then to have my father excommunicated only for challenging the leaders, not even for immorality or anything for challenging the leaders about some of the things they'd been doing especially around funds that's why my dad was kicked out and to see mm. then his marriage shattered and to, to hear that he's had grandchildren born and he's never been sent a photo of them and and to see the family business threatened and all that stuff um that is what made me um step towards founding olive leaf network it was like you know what i might be all right but the brethren are still, um, you know, arguably the cause of the destruction of many families and many lives. And to go, someone has to do something. We have to step up. So, that's, and I want that's to say it's not easy to. No. It's not easy to step up. It's no, it's in not. your story and speaking out about stuff that you believe deeply that is completely wrong and completely unChristian. It's really difficult doing it. It's not like we sit here and like have a jolly. Mm. It's 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 really difficult to do. I mean, I yeah, I agree. In that, it, it's quite interesting because I would say I left was very fortunate in the way I left the brethren, and that I had my parents and one of my two brothers. So unlike a lot of people, I had the majority of my immediate family, and. Your priority when you leave is building your life, which is exactly what I did. And I married and I had two children and the brethren was somewhere in the dim distant past to be forgotten about. And the trigger, um, I think I've said this before on podcasts, but the trigger for me was a phone call from my brother in the brethren who never, ever had phoned me in 27 years. So asking for help to write support to the Charity Commission to support the brethren in their bid to retain their status. Because firstly, why why would my why is this so important? Why would my brother actually pick up the phone and phone me, which he never has done in 27 years, to ask this question? And then like you, Lindy, you realize I'm okay. I'm actually extremely fortunate. I've, you know, had employment, I've had I've got my children with me. I'm fortunate enough to have a grandchild, which you know, people like your father, Lindy, his grandchildren he hasn't seen, as, and many, many others. But the motivation for doing it is exactly that. If somebody um, is doing something that's wrong, if it isn't exposed, it will continue. And it's also to help those who are struggling with it as well. Um, yeah, so I totally agree, Lindy. It's not done for... It's not done, certainly not done for money. It's certainly not done for anything like that. It's done purely with the desire to try and help. Um, and I think, as you say, Lindy, if people want to reach out, I hope that what we've managed to do tonight is dispel in our own unstructured way some of the myths around opposers and hopefully being able to come across that... Um, we are opposed to what we believe is fundamentally wrong and harming people, but we're not opposed to faith and Christianity and your freedom to choose the faith you want to choose. Mm. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to add anything to that or um, whether we've done enough to dispel the myths surrounding us opposers. 
Yeah, I, I, one thing I like about this guy is a bit off piece, but um, I've just note, I noted something down that um, basically, unlike unlike I think it's fair to say, unlike the brethren, um, we we are out here and we help anybody regardless of their religion, their colour, yeah. their race, their sexual orientational preference, or their beliefs. Whereas, yeah. you know, and and. Yet we're classed as opposers, but we we help anybody. We don't yeah. help just um, a certain few. Yeah, I agree, Ross. And I think the thing to remember to people inside, all of us, and I'll put it in inverted commas, opposers have been there. We have all left the brethren and all had to face that huge jump off the precipice. Yeah. Um, and we're just there to help, really. And that's why we'll keep speaking out. Yeah. Lindy, I, I understand you were telling me you'd written a poem about how it felt being viewed as this opposer, this sort of wicked person. Is that something you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I think I, um, yeah, I wrote it in about 2016 after a very painful encounter trying to visit um, a much-loved family member and their family and you know them just refusing to and saying things like that I'm an opposer um and so yeah I wrote this poem in sort of you know some emotional and mental turmoil because I was just realizing that you know even though my heart is just to love and connect with you and I still just love and care for you this realization that I'm no longer Lindy to you instead I am something to be despised i'm so, i'm something reprehensible you know i'm i'm this evil scary threatening person and it was just so sh shocking to me and it still is because i'm like i'm just me i just love you i'm not out to destroy you mm. but yeah so that that's, that's where this poem came from yeah okay go, I'll try and... I'll go away <laughs> so it's called a dragon fully alive I am a young dragon, born into a world where dragons are hated and feared. I look at you and I love you. I reach out and smile, hoping for you to smile back and love me in turn. But all you see are teeth and fangs. Instead, you shriek and shrink back. You gather your children and run from me, hissing and spitting, your tongue flicking in hate. And I... I am wounded by you. I am burned and scarred. I turn and look down at myself. Am I so ugly, so to be feared? Am I covered in dragon scales? I am confused and bewildered. The only smoke I see is from mirrors that are yours. The only scales that I can see are the ones covering your eyes. You hate who I have grown up to be. You fear what I represent. But I cannot unsee what I have seen. I cannot unlearn the truth that I know. You tell me to change, to return, to deny, to hide, to stop speaking up. But to do so would be dying and yet never dead. To do this would turn me into a monster, far more hideous than anything that you think you see now. And I toy with the idea of this just for the prize of gaining your love, of gaining your smiles, your welcome, your home. But I cannot, 
you don't understand. Me being a dragon to you is not something I wanted. It's not something I can choose or unchoose. It's not a flighty fancy. It's not something I can disrobe from like the day's clothes. No, being a dragon to you happened simply because I was true to myself and true to who I believe God to be. Being a dragon to you was born out of my own coming alive, not being a harbinger of death. It has come from my own integrity to living life to the fullest, even when this means being a dragon to you. At least I am a dragon fully alive. And so I'll raise my head. I'm weakened from your beating, but I'm strong with the desire to live. My nostrils will flare, not with hostility, but with the breath of life. Because it is not what you call me, but it is my will to live with integrity that counts. And so I dream of the day that you might see through your scales and your smoke. Through your scales and your smoke. I dream of the day that you might see clear and true that me being a dragon to you has everything to do with how you see me and it has nothing to do with who I am. Oh, wow, Lindy, I think that's an excellent point to stop because that just totally summarises where how I feel as a so-called labelled an opposer. Um, I don't know how the others feel about that. That was very moving, Lindy. Thank you. Incredible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We can't really add to that, can we? Thank you, Lindy. Um, thank you to all of you for your time this evening. I hope what we've discussed has just opened the eyes a little bit about around this word bitter and opposed that the brethren hear so often about us. And just to reiterate everything that's said in your poem. Lindy, we're not dragons, we're not bitter, we're not opposed. We will speak out to what's wrong and we will help anybody that reaches out. So reach out to the Olive Leaf Network, any of us, info at getalife.me, I think the um, email is. And thank you all and see you all next time. Yeah. See you later, dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you. See you later. If you are in a high-demand religious group and need help, please go to oliveleaf.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video Subscribe to get a life and comment.